Hebrews 1 in your Bibles, or if you have uh, a Bible here in some form. If you don't, it's on the screen for us. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Uh, we looked at this text uh, in part last week. This is a little uh, more expanded this morning as we continue these reflections, this series of reflections. And by the way, all of these are online. They're on our website. Uh, they're, they're also inboxed to you. Uh, if you're subscribed to our MailChimp uh, listing and through Facebook and so on. So if there are people here that uh, you know would, would, uh, would enjoy these reflections, please let them know and share them. Feel free to share them. If you, if you view it on social media, feel free to share it with others as well. There's, um, there's no restriction to that. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, and we have been working our way through the Scriptures in terms of coming to understand what does it mean for us as the people of God to truly be the people of God at such times like this, in these days of pandemic. Uh, who are we to be? Are we to simply just reflect the same attitudes and disposition and and uh, behavior and characteristics that we see in the world around us uh, by those who are driven by the spirit of the world? Uh, obviously not. I think the answer is quite clear there. So who are we? What are the people of God, we as the people of God, the sons and daughters of God, to look like? And if, and if you don't know God personally today, you can before this morning is even, before our time together this morning is over, uh, by surrendering and trusting your life to Him. And that's, in fact, what we're looking at today. We've been looking at the Psalms and the prophets and working our way through the Older Testament. How are we to read it? How are we to understand some of the things, uh, some of the claims that are made there, some of the prophetic words and messages? How are they to apply to us today? How are we to understand them? And now, we are stepping into the New Testament, and last week began looking in particular at Jesus, the Gospels, and Jesus, and this morning, trusting Jesus. We concluded last week uh, on that note, trusting Jesus. What is that to look like? What does it mean to trust God in days like this as the people of God? Hebrews 1, 1 to 3 it's on the screen if you don't have it with you. Uh, in many ways and by many means. In other words, incrementally and progressively. That's what the, the, the language there is endeavoring to communicate. God spoke in ancient times to our ancestors in the prophets. But at the end of these days, He openly spoke to us in His Son, Jesus, He appointed His Son to be heir of all things. In other words, all creation belongs to Him. Through Him, in addition, He created the worlds. Jesus is the shining, dazzling reflection of God's own nature and glory. 
people are ever asking you, what is, what is God like? What is God really like? We hear all kinds of things out there today about what God is like, or if God's a God of love this, if God's a God of love, why that? If, if, if we want to know what God is really like, look at Jesus. Because Jesus is the shining, dazzling reflection of God's own nature and glory. He is the precise, flawless expression of His own very being. He sustains, He upholds all things, holding the universe together and expanding it. We know, for those of you uh, science nerds out there, I'm a little bit of a science nerd, not as much as some, but we know that the universe is expanding. He upholds all of this. The universe, as it even expands, through His powerful Word, He accomplished the cleansing needed for sins and sat down at the right of the majesty supreme. Trusting King Jesus alone. And Frank, Frank, by the way, when we conclude today, can we sing that song again in Christ alone? Uh, That was so fitting to what we're going to just reflect on for a few moments here. So in the light of all that we've considered together so far and reflected on, in particular last week in looking at Jesus and the Gospels and with Jesus' counsel to us to stay calm and trust Him though we see many signs of the times as they're called happening all around us. So what then, in light of all of this, might trusting King Jesus, trusting God, look like and mean for us in practice as we live our lives in these days? There is, after all, only one Jesus, only one Christ, the Jesus of Nazareth who came into Galilee saying, now, as we reflected last week. And if you weren't here or missed it somehow, just visit us online or check your inbox if it's been a while since you've checked your email. And if you're not subscribed and want to be, let us know. Now, Jesus said, is the time for God to become king. Now is the time to repent and believe the good news. The kingdom is at hand, Jesus said. In other words, the kingdom is within reach. It's, it's as close as the hand on the end of your arm. So at every point, what we see Jesus doing in the Gospels, at every point He is reframing And he's redefining all the ancient promises about God becoming king. About the good news that God and his kingdom was coming back at last to set everything right. He was redefining it all around his own vision. And that's why Jesus told parables. Parables, vivid stories which say yes to the kingdom of God 
and no to the ways in which most of his contemporaries were seeing that kingdom, were seeing that sovereignty, that divine rulership and control. Jesus was redefining all of that. He was saying, no, it doesn't look like that. This is what it looks like. This was not just a first century issue, though it certainly was that, too. It's vital for our own reflections today. Much of the talk about what is God doing in the coronavirus pandemic, that question, perhaps you've asked it, perhaps you've had it asked of you. What is God doing in the coronavirus pandemic? Much of the talk like this assumes that God is sovereign. And it assumes that sovereignty will mean and look like this. It assumes what it will look like. God is sovereign, and this is what sovereignty looks like. Jesus, however, was unveiling a different meaning of divine sovereignty. A meaning different, I'm sure, than even the way most of us would define sovereignty. This, he said, is what it looks like. And he was saying that. He was saying, here's what the kingdom looks like. Here's what divine sovereignty, God's rule and reign looks like. He was saying it as he healed a leper. This is what the kingdom looks like. Or as he announced forgiveness on his own authority to a penitent, adulterous woman. This is what the kingdom looks like. This is what it looks like, he was saying, as he celebrated at parties with all the wrong people. This is what it looks like, he was saying, as he went up to Jerusalem that last time and solemnly announced God's final judgment on the city, the system, and the institution, the temple, that had refused His way of peace and mercy and compassion and benevolence. This is what it looks like, He said, as He broke bread and drank the cup on the last night with his friends. This is what the kingdom looks like. This is what the sovereignty of God looks like as he hung on the cross with the words, King of the Jews, above his head. This is what it looks like he was saying three days later in resurrection presence to his astonished friends in the upper room. This is what the kingdom, the dominion of the king, the rule, the sovereign reign of the king looks like. Beloved, unless we are prepared to see 
these events, the Jesus events, the messianic moment, as the ultimate call to penitence and trust because He is the ultimate sign. And they are the ultimate announcement of the arrival of God's kingdom. And unless we are prepared to see Him in these events in this way, we will be forever bound to over-interpret and thereby misinterpret other events and signs in order to compensate. There will be a vacuum, a Jesus-shaped void, because we refuse to see Jesus and the Jesus events and the messianic moment. We refuse to see that as the ultimate sign. And so we endeavor to fill that void by interpreting other signs and other events and in, 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 in ways that are really misinterpreting them. And we'll intempt, attempt to fill in this void by making presumptuous predictions. And by saying, as Jesus Himself had warned that people would say, look here, look there. In Luke 17, 20-23. But Jesus says, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't follow that way, said Jesus. Keep me, he said, as the focal point. Live vigilantly in trusting me. Such signs of the times that he speaks of in passages like Matthew 24, earthquakes, famines, wars, plagues, and the like, Such signs are simply everyday indicators of the fact that we are living in the end of the age, the last days. They are a summons to us to live ever vigilantly as the people of God. Listen, they are not signals for us to make attempted predictions upon. They are summons and reminders to us to live vigilantly as God's people in these days. For Jesus' first followers then, His death and His resurrection were now the single ultimate sign. Prophets like Amos had been forerunners. God has now spoken through the Son, Hebrews tells us, our passage at hand today, once and for all. So for us to try to read God's secret code off the pages of the newspapers, find the, you know, the mysterious divine cipher there somehow, and interpret it. For, for, for us to do that may look very clever and intriguing. We may even get a reputation for having such spiritual insight. 
But actually, we are doing it because we have forgotten where the true key of understanding is to be found. Likewise, any claim to tell from world events when the second coming will occur is a claim to know more than Jesus Himself. Jesus said in Mark 13, verse 32, no one knows. No one knows. The day or the hour. The angels in heaven don't know it, He said. Nor does the Son, nor do I know. Only the Father knows. Jesus Himself is the reason why people should turn from idolatry, injustice, and all forms of wickedness. The cross of Christ is where all the world's sufferings and wickedness and horrors have been heaped up and dealt with. The resurrection is the launch of God's new creation, of His sovereign saving rule on earth, starting with the physical body of Jesus Himself. Those events, Jesus and the Jesus events, are now the summons to repent, to trust. They are the clue to what God is doing in the world. You want to know what God's doing in this pandemic? Don't try to interpret things going on around us, things in the newspaper, uh, pinpoint dates and times and what's good. No, if we want to know what God is doing now in the world, we look to Jesus and the Jesus events, and the works of Jesus, and His death and resurrection, that reframes and redefines everything. New creation has been launched. He is the ultimate sign. He is the one to be trusted. Trying to jump from an earthquake to a tsunami to a pandemic or anything else, to a conclusion about what God is saying or doing here without going through the gospel story of the kingdom is to make the basic theological mistake of trying to deduce something about God while going behind Jesus' back. It can't be done. You can see the same point in the Jesus in, in, in Jesus' story about the vineyard tenants in Mark chapter 12, verses 1 to 12. I encourage you to read that. We won't read it together this morning, but mark it down and read it. It has parallels in Matthew and Luke as well. The story is well known to many of us. The vineyard owner sends messengers to get fruit, and the tenants reject them and even kill some of them. 
Finally, the vineyard owner plays his last possible card. What does he do? He sends his only son. They kill him too, and they throw out the body. After that, there can be no further messages. That was the final straw, if you will. And so the application is obvious to us. Jesus is saying, in essence, after this, after me, there are no more warning signs. The historical contextual point here is that once God's people have rejected Him, they have blown their last chance to avoid the destruction that Jesus had warned would come upon the nation and particularly the temple. That was the immediate application of what Jesus was saying. And we know 40 years after Jesus ascended into heaven, that took place with the Romans destroying the temple in 70 A.D. So Jesus' immediate application was fulfilled. However, the point applies equally as the church moves forward. What was said about the one God sending His only Son to the vineyard tenants, to the people of Israel, was then applied to Christ's mission to the world. If there is one God, and if He has come in the person of His own Son to unveil His redeeming, rescuing purposes for His vineyard of this world, then there can be no other signs, no other warning events to compare with this one, the ultimate. Of course, again, God can do whatever God wants to do. If He wants to draw things to people's attention in a special way, that's up to Him. He is, after all, sovereign. But this is not the norm. It's the exception. It's not what we should come to expect. We are not to be like horses and mules without understanding, Psalm 32, verse 9 says, needing to be prodded and yanked by bits and bridles. Aren't you glad that God doesn't do that with us? He says, I have fully disclosed myself to you. My purposes, my will, my plan, my intention, my destiny, my promise, I have fully disclosed it to you in my only Son, Jesus. And His work, death, resurrection, ascension, He is the ultimate sign. From now on, the summons to repentance and trusting God and the announcing sign of God's kingdom on earth as in heaven come not through wars. They come not through famines or floods or plagues or pandemics. They come through King Jesus alone. We must keep 
him as our focal point. We must keep our gaze fixed and centered on him. Not chasing after headlines, not chasing after all that we see going on around us in the world. Of course, we are aware and we are in tune with what is taking place. But we as the people of God are to understand and define and interpret all those things through the lens of Christ and what Christ has accomplished in his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his new creation launch. They come through King Jesus. They, through the story of Jesus himself, the story Jesus himself told and preached and lived and demonstrated and incarnated and announced in life-giving ways through the people of Jesus, you and me, the people of God, the people in whose lives Jesus Himself lives by His Spirit, through the strange work of Jesus, even in parts of the world where His name is not recognized. If God wants to alert us to things that are wrong in the ways that we have been running the world, and that seems highly likely to me, they will come to us Jesus-shaped. Jesus-shaped. We look and are alert to Jesus and those Jesus-shaped things. Jesus' announcement of God's kingdom is the gold standard. There's a good reason why reading the passage from the Gospels is a common practice, almost compulsory practice, the reading from the Gospels that we share together so often, repetitiously almost, when we share the Lord's table together. We often read together Jesus' words of breaking the bread, sharing it with his friends, the disciples, his first followers, taking the cup and passing it to them. There's a reason why we reflect on those words so often. They are words of life. These are words of life. Jesus is saying through this, this is what sovereignty looks like. This is what the kingdom looks like. Broken bread, your lives, just as my life has been chosen by the Father, you are chosen by the Father. Just as my body is being broken, your lives become broken and poured out wine to the world. The message, the life of my kingdom, I send it through you. As the Father has sent me, I now send you. Our trust is to be placed in Christ Jesus alone. 
to be proclaimers of words, his words of life, to be life-giving agents as the people of God in the world. And these words of life also are words of warning. There are not going to be any more final messengers. What does that earthquake mean? What does that tsunami? That's not the point. The point is, is what does it mean that Jesus has come? Jesus has died. Jesus has rose again. Jesus now sits with the Father ruling and reigning. Jesus is coming again. We don't know when. We don't know the hour. We just know it's soon. Only the Father knows. Let's stop wasting time following after those who predict dates or try predicting them ourselves. Let's be the people of God proclaiming the life-giving message of God, the new creation issue of God in these days as we have been called and commissioned to do. In His incarnation, His life, His death, His resurrection, and in His ascension, He is the ultimate sign of the kingdom that is now and the kingdom that is to come. This is what trusting Him looks like. 